0: Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. I'm so darn nervous I almost didn't turn on my microphone and I got a pro watching me. Did you see
1: that, Geeter? <laughs> Man, you're embarrassed man. now. <laughs> hey, Jerry Blabbit, the Geeter with the Heater, is in studio with me, and I am elated that you are here. I have a confession that I need to make to you. Should I wear my robe or should <laughs> I wear my collar? <laughs> yeah. Neither. I interviewed you
0: about your book, You Only Rock Once, right. and I didn't misstate how i prepared. I'd read the reviews of it. I hadn't read the book there was a time constraint
1: the book had just come out i'm trying to do my best to promote it i didn't read it okay but we had a nice
0: conversation because i love being in your company and having you on my program now i've read the book geter i cannot believe the
1: stories you tell in this thing i mean you spared nothing my friend you it you laid it all out michael you got to understand i came from a broken family oh i get it italian now italian jewish i was raised By the nuns one way, my father raised me a different way. I learned the street, the street sense from the Gimp, my father and my mom was like a saint. Louis the Gimp, Louis the Gimp, Louis the Gimp. All right. You see my notes?
0: Oh. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to I want to sort of offer the cliff's note version. I'm thrilled that you're here. You're going to be my guest with a whole other bunch of characters on March 7 for
1: book club in Collingswood. Can you imagine the Geeter sitting next to Larry Kane, sitting next to Bernie Parent, sitting next to George Anastasia and Glenn Macnow, all on the same stage? There might be a war. <laughs> I doubt it. We just have to figure out how to get Sid in the mix. We got well. Well, Sid's in the book. By the way, you know now you start at seven o'clock, right? Yes. I'll get there at seven thirty. It's okay. I okay. know. I. Because know, Geter, I'm gonna run it like the Tonight Show. Instead of instead of bringing one guy, I'm, you're all, like after you've been the guest, you slide down the sofa. Uh, yeah. But what I, do you think? We'll bring down Rickles, and he'll do the same thing. Uh, I'm gonna talk about Rickles. <laughs> all right. So let me run through my notes, and let's offer folks the Cliff's note version. Okay. You decide you're writing, you only rock once, because there's a particular moment when you're seated across from Madonna. Yeah. And you got to, like, pinch yourself and say, my God, what a life I'm leading. Well, you know, M- Madonna, you know, that world of show business today is not the world that I grew up in. We have grew up in class, and Sid can tell you all of that, with Frank and Sammy and Rickles. And Madonna is just sprouting that. It was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee dinner, and she is going to induct David Bowie. And I'm watching all of these people, Springsteen, who I know, and I'm watching David Bowie, and I'm watching Smokey Robinson, and I'm saying, you know, I think it's time for me to tell the people the real deal with show business. And you did. And you lay all the stories out, including your own background, as you just made reference to. Tell me about Louis the Gimp. Well, you know, my father was a Jewish bookmaker, a Jewish racketeer. The Jews hung at Broad and Locust at Lou Tendler's. They were the sharpest. They wore suits and ties. They drank scotch. They drank bourbon. My mother was an Italian girl from eight kids, the youngest kid. She goes to the movie with Aunt Fulamina at the Broadway theater. In comes the gimp, running away from the cops. They're looking for him. There's an empty seat. He sits next to my mother, who is 16 years of age, puts his arm around her. She is startled. The cops don't find a single guy. They run out. She smacks him. Six weeks later, they run away and get married from the Broadway theater. What happens? She becomes disowned because you're never supposed to marry out of your religion. The Capuanos. Capuanos. And in Jewish, as you know, this poor guy, my my dad was a scoundrel, I loved him, is the black sheep with the Jewish side. I mean, his brothers are well-to-do business guys. He's taking numbers. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I am born my sister is born in nineteen thirty eight. I am born in nineteen forty. There's a war going on. My father is in and out of the can. In those days you would do a week. You got a you got a phone call, they're coming, okay, boom, boom, boom. I raised by the nuns, Saint Monica's. And my sister and I are raised by nuns, and we would spend the afternoon after getting out of school with the Capuanas, who back then you know, you know, if I open my mouth, I get a backhand. You know, which means you're, you know, they thought the killer of Christ at but, that time. But, G- G- <laughs> they've, they've, you would have to, your mother would vacate the house because yep. your father was running the business out Absolutely. of the house. And, and my mother. Would, well, you're at St. Monica's. I'm at St. Monica's. <laughs> and what would happen is the coach would be there. Right. And if they got a call that the cops were coming, they would t- put all the number bets in the coach with my little sister, and she'd wheel it out, and cops go right past her, and the house became a safe house all over again. <laughs> you have a chapter in here that I love, and it's titled, The Street Was My Classroom. You tell a story. You can tell a lot of stories in here, but you, you tell a story <clears throat> about your father being out for a car ride with you. <laughs> Let me say, there's a, <laughs> what we will say in more politically correct, a heavyset woman at a trolley stop. Well, i got to say, my father also was involved in the bail bomb business with a guy called Benny Glickstein. And at that time, all of the Jewish guys hung at 7th Street. So my father, he got me a car, which wound up being repossessed because he never made the payments. Okay. <laughs> so I'm in the car. He calls me, He says, pick me up at Benny's joint. I go to Benny's joint. He says, we're going to take a ride. At that time, they're building the Walt Whitman Bridge. He says, stop over here. There's a big, heavy-set woman. He says that a girl talks something in Jewish to her. She gets in the car in the back. He says, drive on down Walt Whitman area where they're building. He says, get Construction out of- site. Yeah. He says, get out of the car. Huh? Take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Louis the Gimp says. take a- So I take a walk. I- Come back ten minutes later. He says, "Okay, now I'm going to take a walk," <laughs> and she did with me what she did with him. So, <laughs> and then you dropped her back off at the trolley stop. Dropped her right back off where you picked her up. You didn't have to tell that story in the book, but you wanted to tell the full story. I, I, I want to, wanted people to know the sense of what it was growing up in South Philadelphia at that time with these. It was my father. I mean, there's a chapter in there but I didn't even know I was wind up I wind up with his girlfriend I didn't even know with his girlfriend you know I mean it's, it's crazy you couldn't make this up you know if it were a screenplay Geeter, you'd be saying Ah, people are never gonna believe this uh, you get involved in bandstand when Bob Horn is the host and you were very loyal to him that becomes so darn obvious this is pre Dick Clark and he gets jammed up on some issues and when Clark is coming in and Horn is now out you lead a picket line <laughs> among the other dancers for bandstand. Well, I'll tell you, tell you what happened. As I said, my father was never around. Bob Horn became a second father to me. And in the book, you're going to find out I had many second fathers, many people. that, Because I was a kid looking for that. Right. Okay. I would spend weekends with Bob Horn at Levittown with his kids. During the summertime, he would be on his boat in Stone Harbor. I met Sammy Davis. I met Tony Bennett. I met the DeCastro sisters. I met all these people through him. When he lost the show and I was the head of the committee, I was told Tony Marmorella who at that time was the producer, said, look, we're going to Bob will be back. And so the heat dies down. Three weeks later, there's no Bob Horn. Tony says to me, Bob's not coming back. The new host is Dick Clark, who did bars, diamond theater. He was doing commercials and did radio. I said, no, we, we want Bob Horn. I didn't know there was nothing wrong against Dick. We want the Bob Horn. So I lead a pick in line. George Kohler. Roger Clip, the heads of WFIL, bring me in their office. They say, look, you were making $15 a week. We're going to double that money for you. Bob's not coming back. You're going to be the head of the committee. $30. This show just might go network. No. No. You said no. No. How old were you at that time? 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I go out, and I'm leading the pickets. The next thing I know, the cops come. I get pinched. The pickets go down, and I'm in the can. My father comes and gets me out. And that was the end of my career as a dancer.
0: You became a DJ, though, and and went on to bigger and better pastors. By the way, the the Geeters book is called You Only Rock Once, and it is fabulous. It is chock full of these kind of stories, including the relationship
1: that you had and still have with Don Rickles, um, including selling his sweater. Well, let me think. I, I, I used to shoot pool. Every kid shot pool. Nat Sigel, who became my manager, who was partners with, and incidentally, Sid's manager at one time was Nat Sigel, when Sid was doing the Mark of Jazz. What happened is, when Bob lost the show, I was like a little orphan, so I hung with Nat Sigel, who was a man about town. He was a booking agent and a manager, and booked Scioli's, Chubbies, and the Celebrity Room. He also had a group called Danny and the Juniors. I went on the road with Danny and the Juniors. But he says to me, the Celebrity Room, for people who know Philadelphia, was a comedy club. Don Adams would play there. Henny Youngman would play there. All comedians. In comes a young Don Rickles. Shoehorn. Don't know nothing about Philly. Sweats constantly. Sweats constantly. Matt says, you got to take care of him. So I would go take him from the Celebrity Room to the Sylvania Hotel. And back in the day, Michael, it's interesting, the Blue Laws, for these guys to make extra money, they would play at some of the private clubs, the Erie Social Club in Philadelphia. So I was a driver. I mean, I learned how to drive a stick guy from my father. I mean, these cats, when they wanted to get away from somebody, they knew every one of the streets, <laughs> every one of the streets. So I became his valet. I would watch over him. He didn't, he was, the, I would go to the Latimer Club, the Cinetrano Room. Sid remembers that. Bill Rodstein, big guy would say to Rickles, put all your money on, put them on the bar, give everybody a drink. I say, Don, don't put any money on the bar. This guy's hustling you. Buy whoever you want to buy a drink. So I was like, at that time, I was 17, 18 years of age. Keeter, you answer this in the book. Why did so many bring you into their confidence? Because whether it's Sammy, whether it's Frank, whether it's Don Rickles, all of these people felt comfortable around you. Michael, I Because, number one, I was not impressed, number one. Number two, I was completely open and honest with them, and I respected them for what they did. I mean, I would sit with Frank, and Sid sat many times, but I would sit at four o'clock in the morning. Sid would go to bed. I would be in New York City with me, Sammy, and Frank, and they would talk to me as you and I are talking, knowing that I respected their privacy, knowing that... They're my friends. I mean, I met Frank when I was a kid. You also, Geeter, had the time of your life when you were in your teens, and and women—they all saw you. They'd all say to you, "Hey, I see you on bandstand." Yeah. It was the ultimate hookup, is what I'm trying to say. Well, you know, I I was a look. I weighed 126 pounds. I don't weigh too much more today. But I mean, I was a sharp little dancer, and my mother always taught me how to dress because she loved my father. And see, the Italians would be wearing the T-shirts, the jeans, but the Jews would be dressed, man. And they'd hang <laughs> a brutal locust man. You know? So I always emulated that. All right. And I danced. Sherry Blavitt, the Geter with the heater, the boss with the hot sauce is in studio, and I'm privileged to have him. He wrote a tremendous autobiography, You Only Rock Once. Geter, all week long, T.C. and Greg can tell you, I have been reading to them excerpts from
0: the book. <laughs> and saying, I can't wait till the Geeter is here. Guys, my hand to God, right?
1: It's like story time. Every day he
0: comes in with a passage. Sort of of an adult story
1: time, right, Geeter? Yeah, Geeter. I do do pull out some of the more spicy references. Let let me tell you, I can tell your audience out there, I have said things in this book that you have done but you would not say. (laughs) That's true. It's true, but you laid it all out. Uh, I want to talk about Mr. S., because yes. one of the things that you have in, in common with, with Sidney, our dear mutual friend, is your relationship with Frank. He called you Matchstick. Right. I, I, met, him, I, I met him with Skinny. Uh, at that time, Don Rickles had a movie out called Some uh, Run Silent, Run Deep. He did it with Burt Lancaster and Clark Gable. Frank was appearing at the 500, and his picture, Hold on the Head, was on the boardwalk also. So Nat Sigel, who became my manager, who was the booking agent that put Rickles in Philadelphia, he uh, calls, he said, Rickles wants you to go down to see the movie. La, 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 la. After the movie, we went to the 500. And there is Frank, and they're drinking. This is like 6 o'clock. It was a matinee. It's like 6 o'clock, and they're drinking. And Rickles says, Bla uh, uh, da da da, this is a little Jerry Blavitt, you know. Bop, bop. And he looks at me says, Oh, Magstick, eh? You know, and everybody had a nickname. Well, everybody. Everybody in your book has a nickname. Well, that's the way it was. Listen, sometimes the nicknames were to protect the innocent. <laughs> 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 you know, and and uh, we just we just hit it off. Funny story, because in the book, Rickles says to me as we're leaving, he said, you look like you weren't impressed. I said, well, you know, my mother likes Frank Sinatra. I said, if it was Chuck Burry, a Fats Domino, I really would be impressed. You know, I mean, but. There was a respect that I had for these guys, and I always knew from being older than my age and hanging with older people what to do. I mean, I was sneaking into the bars, man, when I was 16, 17 years old. to The RDA Club, Frank Palumbo's joint, the CR Club, the Latin Casino. I used to take the priests that were teaching me to a place called the Yachtsman Club and pick up their tabs. I mean, I was like a young man... I just lived my life. Mr. S. Uh, uh, loved your mom's uh, the cooking. Cooking. Oh, yeah, yeah. What did he like in particular? He, let me tell you what he he loved. My mother was from Abruzzi, and the greatest cooks are from Abruzzi, Abruzzese. My mother would cook for him raviolis. She would cook for him brajol. And he, I would bring it to Jilly, and the, I mean, plates and big I'm talking about food, sausage and meatballs. And one night we're sitting down and he's eating and he turns to me. It's almost like he's very solemn, like he's got tears in his eyes. He says to me, you know, Matchstick, your mother was a saint. He said, you see my mother? He said, let me tell you about Dolly. She would come over, watch the show. She would say to me, you stunk tonight, you bum.'" Or son, you were terrific tonight. I taste your mother's food, and I think of my mother. Wow. I mean, it's. I, uh, Peter, there's a there's a vignette in the book where Frank has played. I'm doing this from memory, but it, I think it was with with Liza
0: and Sammy, Sammy uh, at the Spectrum. Yep. And he then is going back to Bookbinders. You made a run over to Bookbinders to drop off your mom's cooking. <laughs> the raviolis. The raviolis. And then when Frank gets there later that night,
1: you're at a different party, and he's upset because the ravi where are the raviolis? This is a funny story. I know it's they, a funny story. They played Philadelphia on a Monday uh, uh, and and two days, okay, and there was a layoff. Sammy stayed at the four seasons, and Liza stayed at the four seasons. Frank flew back to the ward off, but Sammy says to me Sunday night, look, Frank wants to get together with your mother's food. Can you close a restaurant? I said, yeah, what we'll do, we'll close the Galleria, which was on Passchunk Avenue, right around the corner from Famous, okay? Carlo was my friend an Italian guy who was the chef at Wanamaker's. So Monday night, I take my mother to the concert. She cooks all day Monday. I get all the food together. I send it to the Galleria, okay? My mother's sitting there at Frank's aisle over there. She's sitting next to Walter Annenberg and Lenore, and they love my mother because my mother cooked for them, when he used to come over to the house with Frank Rizzo, so I go backstage and Sammy says, "We got a problem. The old man is livid." I said, "Why? Why is he livid?" He has to go with the Annenberg, the bookies, bookbinders. But he wants to eat your mom's he, food. He wants your mom's
0: raviolis <laughs> and the
1: meatballs. You got to tax him to go for that. <laughs> I I got it. I get Gungadin and I get him over from the Galleria while the show's going on, and they send everything over what he wants. The bookbinders, we go with the police escort. Sammy, Liza, the whole entourage, the Galleria, we're eating, having fun, drinking wine, drinking whiskey. The phone rings. Carlo, the owner, says to me in broken English, somebody is yelling and screaming. He, he wants to talk to you. Matchstick. I said, uh-uh. Sammy says, get the phone. I get it. And he says, to me, where are you? I said, I'm with Sammy. Get over here right away. And Julie gets on. He says, you better get over here right away. They don't have the raviolis. They don't have the meatballs. Sinatra products. wants your mom's ravioli, <laughs> and he wants to know where it is. And so I had my Mercedes. So I said, "Sam, you better come with me." Eliza, come on with me. And there's a great picture in the book of me, Sammy, and Eliza going over there, speeding over to Bookbinders. We go there. The place is empty. This is twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning. There is Frank Sinatra, Mister and Missus Annenberg, Barbara Sinatra. Jilly is sitting at the end of the bar. The place is completely dark, okay? It's that president's room where they used to I know exactly. The wood-paneled president's room. You're I that. know exactly where it was. Okay. Jilly says, where's the meatballs? I said, it's in the kitchen. <laughs> I go in the kitchen. <laughs> there it is. It's sitting right there in the aluminum foil. Oh, my God. I, it's, it was amazing. Jerry Blavitt's in studio with me. I'm so thrilled you're here. You
0: only rock once. Hear more of Michael Smirkanish on SiriusXM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SiriusXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at smirkanish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.